Hi everyone, it's Katie. At the risk of sounding tacky, I'm going to remind you that the holidays are coming up. And don't forget your friends at The Bittersweet Life when you're thinking about people you might want to give to for your charitable giving. Now granted, we're not a nonprofit. We're kind of a no-profit, really. And thanks to the support of people like you who listen, we've been able to create this show without losing money. Now, in the coming year, we'd like to expand our reach, reach other expats around the world. And we're interested a little bit in exploring the possibility of hiring some sort of marketing expert to help us out in that regard. And we can't do that without financial support from you. Visit the donate button on our website. Click it, donate to us through PayPal, or send us an email and we'll send you an address to send a check to. I know it's tacky to ask for money sometimes. But to keep this podcast going and maybe even dream of growing it so more people like you can find us, we need your help. Visit the donate button at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Was that tacky? I mean, you're thinking about charitable giving, right? Or Christmas presents? You guys are great. Even if you just spread the word to a few friends this year, that'll help. But if you can afford it, visit the donate page at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we are where, Tiffany? We're at a cafe called Cafe Settimiana near an arch of the same name in our neighborhood, Trastevere. And it's kind of a really cute little angle of the city. And we actually happen to be right across the street from uh, where Raphael's mistress used to live, La Fornarina, just, you know, as a little tidbit of, of art history for you. Yes, and right up the street is a place where Raphael was working, working away. But was he really working? Because some stories say that he was actually running up the street to uh, see this young lady that lived <laughs> right across from us right now. And uh, we have a guest. Cassie Griesbach, who joined us way back, I should have checked which episode, but way back at the home birth, was it episode 12? Yeah, it was a while ago, it was an early one. Our home birth episodes, part one and two. Thanks for coming and joining us again. Uh, Happy to be here. Cassie still lives here as well. She, unlike me, got to stay in Rome. How's that feel? Good now. Happy about it. (laughs) What do you mean by good now? Uh, if you asked me the first year, I couldn't wait to get out. Uh, second year, I started to like it more, and now I'm really glad that we're here. What changed, do you think? Learning the city more, learning more Italian, just getting used to the pace of life and change of expectations. <laughs> it's all about expectations. <laughs> what was the biggest change? Um, That's Aurelio coughing in the background, by the way, if you were wondering. That's Tiffany's youngster. Um... I don't know. I mean, just that. Just getting to know the city. Just learning more about this place and how to live in it. I mean, one of the reasons we all came together is, one, because Cassie's a friend of mine. Tiffany's a friend of mine. They've met once, but they don't really know each other. Because, uh, you know, when you meet at an interview, it's... I mean, I guess you're meeting at an interview again, but it's a little bit awkward. more social this time, I think. A little more social. And also because Cassie is a more experienced mother than Tiffany is. Much more experienced. 
How many children do you have? I now have three and one on the way. So Tiffany had some questions about being a new mom that we thought Cassie might be able to answer. So most of the time I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to let these two talk. Well, I mean, I don't want it to be like just me picking her brain. You know, we'll have an open, open conversation, which you can definitely be a part of. So what is the first thing that's on your mind? Like what is one of your biggest questions about whether or not you're doing it right? <laughs> the thing that I ask myself the most is, is he getting enough sleep? I read these websites, and of course, that's probably the worst thing to do. But they all say, you know, newborns need between 16 and 18 hours of sleep per day. And Aurelio, on a good day, gets 12. And on a bad day, can get 7 or 8. Really bad day. So I know I just, I feel like he doesn't sleep at all during the day. And is that something that, if they don't sleep, is that bad for them? Does that hurt them? I mean, I don't know. I know you're not a doctor. But, you know, you have three kids and one on the way. So... Am I worrying too much about his daytime sleep? Yeah, worrying too much. Websites are all general statements. If the baby's happy, then you should be happy. And I would be worried if the baby was upset and cranky all the time. But if he's sleeping and then he's up and he's chipper, this might be a sign of things to come. He may be that person when he's an adult who can run on four or five hours of sleep on a regular basis, and that's completely normal for him. I wouldn't worry. If he's a happy baby, then he's getting what he needs. You can't change him. You can't train him. So there's nothing you can do. So then there's nothing you should worry about. Unless you want to drug him. <laughs> but I don't recommend it. <laughs> I have considered it. No. <laughs> in your darkest moments. In my very dark, dark hours. In like three in the morning when I'm thinking, oh God, I can't do this anymore. But no, it's, it's generally the nighttime isn't too bad. I mean, I expected sleepless nights. I expected that he would wake up numerous times during the night, and he does. He usually goes back to sleep okay. So the night isn't really what's bothering me it's in the day. But I, I think that that's a good, a, a good point. And he is usually happy. Usually. <laughs> Solved. You're doing a great job when it comes to sleep. I would like to ask about mobility because... Getting him around, moving him about is still a little bit of a, a trouble. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And the annoying thing is his baby carriage does not fit in the elevator of my building. Is that your case as well? No. We don't bring it up into our house. We like leave it parked on the first floor. But we live in a seminary, so nobody's going to steal our stroller. <laughs> yeah, it's all men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no children. We're the only family, so we have no worries about that. But I understand the frustration of getting around to other apartment buildings that you just can't get your stroller in. It's very frustrating. Yeah, we live in a building that sees a lot of students and tourists coming through. There are a lot of bed and breakfasts in the building. It's not exactly upscale, and so we don't really want to leave it downstairs. And even if we did leave it in the entryway, it's too small. There's no space for it. So we have to leave it in the apartment. If I'm going to go out, I'm not going to take it, absolutely, because I can't physically carry it up and down the stairs. It's just not happening. So I have a, a ring sling, as you can see, and I have a Moby wrap, and I have an Ergo. I've never used the Ergo yet because I think he's not quite big enough, I think. The Moby wrap just is so confusing, it blows my mind. And the ring sling is what I'm using because it's the only one I can manage to figure out. But it's killing her back, which is why she doesn't use it very much. I never used the ring sling. I had, oh, I had one and it was beautiful, handmade by one of my best friends. And I sentimentally loved it and thanked her for it, but I never used it. It is very hard on your back. And right now, it's 
you can still make it work. It's doable. You can handle a little bit of pain and, you know, you get to move and it's worth it. But they get a little bit bigger. I definitely recommend the Ergo. That's my favorite. I'm a huge Ergo advocate. And um, I, I now have the infant insert for the Ergo, which is basically like a little cocoon that has a miniature snap, which is useless. They're supposed to keep it together. And then they have like a little cushion that they sit on. And before I had that, I just wrapped them and swaddled them and shoved jackets underneath. So I basically like filled in the edges a little bit, mostly at the bottom because their feet, they're too little for the legs to go around your body. So they just kind of sit cross-legged. You're not going to find this on the Ergo website because I want you to buy the insert and technical safety, whatever. I, I don't really follow those. You know, I have had a lot of thoughts from basically late pregnancy until now, I've, I've come to terms with reality not meeting my expectations. It's not that I had super high expectations about anything, it's just, I just pictured everything differently. I pictured the last month of my pregnancy, hanging out in Trastevere and, and getting together with friends, living it up, not having to work. In reality, I was at my mother-in-law's, thank God for them, I mean, honestly, but you know, it was just not the last month of pregnancy that I expected. The first month of my baby's life, I thought, I'll be at home, I'll be hanging out with my mom who's in town, I'll be going to breakfast with her, and, and that wasn't at all what happened. I had a difficult recovery, and I was again, you know, most, most of the time at my in-laws where I could be sort of taken care of, and I wasn't able to really do anything. I could barely walk for a couple of weeks, and definitely couldn't leave the house for about two weeks except to go to the doctor. And, uh, and I had these visions of me, you know, just zipping around in a Moby wrap and, you know, doing my thing and doing all of the cleaning, cooking, housework, everything with the baby strapped on. And it's just not happening. And there's, there's hope yet. Let me just say there's hope yet. He's a month and a half. The first few weeks that everything changes by the day and by the week and you have a routine, but then it's gone and that's totally normal. You might be able to do that soon. The zipping around, but it's still very early. I think maybe some American nature is coming out. You need to embrace the Italian side, which is just relax. You know, there are some, there are some African cultures, I think, where when a woman has a baby, the village like helps take care of her. And they don't even like allow her to walk or... I don't know months. Uh, it's some. I don't. I don't remember the details of it. I just remember being so far beyond what we experience as expectations as Americans and <laughs> what we want to plan to do with our children. Especially when you do the home birth route, midwives are often very quick to like help you embrace the just relaxed, slow, taking it a day at a time with your baby. Uh, that your body needs some love and recovery time as well like relaxing and just embracing that being a little slower for a while it might not always be the case too for many women it's a completely different experience from child to child if he was a different baby maybe that would have been a case you know but now this it's a different situation if he had had a smaller head <laughs> you have three different kids what's the difference from one to the other to another of how different they were as at this age completely different so you're talking about all your expectations and I totally understand and people ask me they're like so what do you expect this pregnancy to be like and for each one 
My answer is the same. I have no expectations. I do not expect, I try not to for the most part. If I get expectations, I just try to like keep them on a very low level. It could happen this way, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to put bets on it. Every child of mine has been easy. Emma was a very easy birth, no complications. My recovery was pretty good. However, she was a very difficult sleeper. Daddy was up rocking her to bed every night until one in the morning, bouncing her, bouncing her. And I would, I'd like go to bed at 10 and then I would take care of her through the night. And he would give her to me at like one so that I could get a little more sleep because I've never been the night owl that my husband has been and is. Um, and it was the same thing. Like I couldn't put her down for anything. I just held her. She wanted to be with me all the time. I don't remember doing anything for a long time. I remember at one point I was just being kind of nostalgic, being like, I used to be able to do X, Y, or Z. And, and then I had Stella. And Stella's birth was, the birth itself was fine. Afterwards, I had a terrible hemorrhage. I lost 1,400 cc's, 1,450 of blood, major hemorrhage. But the birth was easy. The bleeding afterwards just destroyed me. My recovery period was awful. I stayed in bed for, I don't know, weeks. I like, literally could not stand to even use the bathroom for a very long time. I don't remember the first month, maybe month and a half of Stella's life because I was like in another world. I was so just, I just had to build up all of my blood back. And so I was... I was at the mercy of everybody in my house. I knew there were people downstairs taking care of my baby and I was getting lonely. It was not a very fun <laughs> birth afterwards. I'm not bonding with my child because I'm not holding her all the time, but I needed all the sleep. Very, very different. But then we get older, I'm recovered. She slept like a dream. And I remember being at the sewing machine, like making her some fleece blanket that was a million squares. And she was sleeping on the bed next to me in the middle of the afternoon. And I remember laughing to myself like, this is awesome. I could never do this with Emma. It was just a completely different experience. Stella, I didn't have to like shake the bed, like bounce the bed as I put her down to make sure she stayed asleep. I didn't have to even be that gentle. I basically could just like roll her out of my arms and plop her on the bed. And she was fine and she's still that way still that way by the, the two first personalities still reflect this in their sleeping patterns Dietrich comes along completely different birth experience the birth itself was really really easy um, so I guess I've had more easy births than not and the recovery was great I bled very little and I was like on my feet that evening I had him at noon and at 6 p.m. I was able to walk to the bathroom and I'm feeling great and I just remember being like I'm so aware. I felt like a superhuman. Like I, my, my senses are heightened. I know what's going on around me. And, and that was just the complete opposite of what it was with Stella, who I couldn't remember anything. Worried that I, was like, I wasn't going to connect with my baby. And Dieter was so different. They're like, stay in bed for a week just because I can't do that. I feel great. You're going to go out running. <laughs> right. I'm going to go jogging with this kid. I feel like Derek and I came over and saw him within the first three days or something like that. Oh, yeah. I was I was seeing guests. He's also been a very good sleeper and still is. Sleeps really well. I mean, we get up. And, and when I say that, I don't mean my children like sleep through the night from the beginning. Again, that's not one of my expectations. If that ever happens, I just count my blessings. <laughs> I was going to ask you because I remember this line from the interview that we did with you. A couple years ago, you said, 
childbirth is not the most painful thing that I've ever experienced. <laughs> and I, and uh, Katie said, I, that begs the question, what was more painful than childbirth? You know, I was very inspired by this. I was very... Your answer, let me interject, was a scratch cornea. Yes, scratch cornea, which I've never experienced. So, you know, I, I had no... But I read all the books, hypnobirthing and... <laughs> Uh, what? You read Have you read that? No, I haven't read the book on hypnobirthing, but I know a little bit of its method, and I think it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I was definitely, like, trying to do that. I'll definitely say that I did not have anything close to a pain-free birth, and I didn't expect to. But two things that book gave me. Number one, it gave me a really great breathing technique that actually helped a lot. But more than that, it, and, and this was kind of a good thing and a bad thing, I went into childbirth with no fear, with zero fear, like zero. I was so excited to have this baby. Like I was afraid of after. I was afraid of having a baby, but I wasn't afraid of giving birth to him. Maybe I should have been, I don't know. <laughs> but um, I think that it couldn't have hurt. You're saying it was a good thing. I think it was a good thing to not be afraid. And I've heard people say, oh, I thought it was going to be much worse. And it wasn't It wasn't really that bad. So it was great. I'm glad that my expectations were that it was going to be really hard. And, and I had the opposite experience. I didn't think, okay, it's going to be so easy. But I thought, you know, it's manageable. And I'll just breathe and do relaxation techniques. You know, I used to teach yoga. I can do this. And it was way, 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 way more painful than I could have imagined. But I did it. And I got through it. I did it without medication, which is what my goal was. But I do think that what they say about fear and fight or flight, that does come into it. And I think that that does make it more painful. So I'm thinking it probably was less painful for me than it was for some. I agree. I, and I feel the same way for some women that go in and they're like, there's no way I could do this without, without medicine. I, I mean, that's fine if you want to use that. But I also, you know, part of me just thinks like that exact thing, you might be making this more painful for yourself if you're starting from that very tense, fearful position. So I agree. I think it's really good to go into it fearless. There's no fear in like the, it could happen any day, any time. You're sitting down to dinner and... <laughs> that's not fear, that's impatience and anxiety. That's a different sort of, yeah, that's, that's not easy. That's, I mean, I guess for Emma, I was always afraid I was just going to like, my water was going to break somewhere really embarrassing. <laughs> Even with Emma, you weren't worried about the actual giving birth? No, I don't think so. You'd been at a lot of different births by that time, though, right? I don't know which ones I'd actually been at. I'm the oldest of seven. The last few that my stepmom had were home births and whatnot. I don't remember if I actually was at any of them. But, I mean, I had a very positive idea of what birth could be and, and that it was very natural and that but your body knows what to do. So you just got to go with it. Yeah, that was, that was kind of what I kept hearing and reading and, and really believed. And I, and I kind of felt like... If it were really, really so hard, the human species would not have gotten this far. You know, and I kept saying to my husband, you know, people have been giving birth at home for million, literally millions of years, or I think hundreds of thousands, I don't know. That just shows my ignorance. I don't know how long Homo sapiens have been around. Sorry, I know other stuff. But <laughs> a long time. And I said, they haven't been doing it in hospitals, and they definitely haven't been doing it with drugs, except for in the past hundred or so years. And he said, yeah, but so many people died. And yes, they did. If so many died, if like 90% of them died, our species wouldn't have survived. So clearly it can be done at home. You know, and you are proof of that, obviously. So many people have died. It was like, okay, those things that cause, there are some common things that cause um, the mother to die or the baby to die. 
we figured those out a long time ago and we basically take care of them in our prenatal care via supplements and you know a couple of precautions for that really rare case that something might happen we've got that covered too some more parenting questions tiffany well, I'm not going to ask the poop questions because oh, it's not. I'll allow you one poop question. No, no, no. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it be- because that's gross. <laughs> I'm sorry. I... Can I just tell you how many of my conversations with other parents are centered around poop, by the way, especially as you have more kids. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's only going to increase. <laughs> it's very normal. In fact, sometimes Liam's like, how's your wrap? I was like, sorry, we're eating dinner. Um, <laughs> another question. <laughs> I'll talk about that later. Just so you know, I'm very comfortable with poop. Way more than I want to be. <laughs> uh, does this sound like reflux to you? No. <laughs> no, I'm a little worried about this little cough that he has. It's only—it's not really a cough. It's just like when he eats, he'll tend to to just start coughing in the middle. I don't really know why that is. It's just the past couple of days. No, actually, I'm going to ask this because you know we're sitting in a cafe on a kind of busy little street. It's a little street, but it's pretty busy. It's a lot of people around, and I am breastfeeding. I haven't lived in the United States for a long time, but from the websites that I read, you know, like the mommy websites and stuff, you know, you hear that there's, I've, I've heard uh, that there is a lot of backlash in the States against people nursing in public. Have you had, you had your first two in the States, correct? Yeah. Did you find that people here are much more accepting of that and less judgmental than the States, or do you think it's about the same? Not that I experienced a lot of the judgmental attitudes in the States, but I do I do think that they are more open here. Maybe it's just because of uh, the various cult- different cultures that we're very close to here. It's natural. I'm just going to whip it out and I don't care what you think sort of thing. Um, I... Yeah, I don't know. I haven't, I've, and I certainly, I haven't even seen it. And I, I don't think I am a, a good enough judge of the Italian culture to know what they think part of being an expat you're above it really if you (laughs) want to be it doesn't matter you don't know anybody exactly i can tell you two experiences of mine already one you were there katie one was a couple weeks ago i became an italian citizen and you know i wanted to have aurelio with me and i wanted to hold him in my arms when i did it because well first he is you know the product of an italian and an american and is an important moment for me as a person and, and i thought it would be really cool to be holding him so we get there and just before i'm about to go in he starts crying i started breastfeeding him and i had this i'm wearing the same shirt it's kind of nursing shirt that kind of is a little bit modest so uh, you can you can do it uh, without causing too much uh, showing too much skin luckily i don't have that much skin to show anyway so that that makes it easier <laughs> I went in there and the entire time I was signing, swearing, shaking hands with the guy and everything. The entire time I was nursing. No one blinked an eye. And the other experience was when I was staying with my in-laws the first month after the baby was born. One time I was nursing and uh, I guess I didn't have a blanket over me or whatever. My father-in-law walked past and the baby had fallen asleep. So he was just, he was still, you know, sucking slightly but he was asleep he wasn't actually getting anything done and my father-in-law just looked like blatantly just like looked straight at it and said but he's not sucking (laughs) if you've listened to this podcast you know that sometimes I get a little bit annoyed with my father-in-law yes we are all well aware the annoyed part was sort of like the being in my business but you know when I thought about it I realized that to them it's just not 
they see it in a totally different way here. I mean, and not and a lot of Americans are the same. I'm not saying all Americans see it like this, but you know, in America, I think that it's it's seen as something that you know is very private that you should do in private. That might even be slightly vulgar. Some people think that, and that's just not you know here. It's not even you wouldn't even think. Oh, you know, she she doesn't want to be seen. You know, it's just, it's just so normal and natural. When I was nursing Emma as a newborn, I remember my first experience in the States. I was trying to nurse her in church, and I was trying to finagle a blanket somehow, pulling my shirt up, and felt the cold breezes on my back. I was like, I feel like I'm exposing way too much here, especially because I'm in church. But I was having a heck of a time just getting in control of this blanket. I'm like tossing it over my shoulder and like trying to like hold it with my chin and uh, <laughs> trying to get, I don't know, the back of my shirt pulled down while not dropping the baby. And I just remember being so anxious and nervous. And the lady behind me eventually like helped me. She's like, do you want some help, dear? And like tried to like help me put the blanket on. I mean, part of it was just the new mom trying to figure things out. I mean, being in church at all, you know, because there's also that period of how much noise is okay, <laughs> trying not to freak out too much. But I, I think part of it was just responding to that, that idea. Like somewhere there was that American normal where it's like, this is not okay. You better have it all <laughs> taken care of. And I was, I was struggling with that, and it was so hard. And uh, um, I mean, maybe part of that, maybe a good deal of that, was in my brain. I don't know. I don't feel that pressure. I mean, part of it is that, like, now I'm on, you know, nursing my third baby, and I don't care as much. Or I, I have, I have a system intact that was like, it makes it easy. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that. The Italians would be like, whatever school. What would be some of your systems? It doesn't have to be about breastfeeding. It can be about whatever systems you have in place that would make life easier for Tiffany. Let's see. Well, since we were just talking about the breastfeeding, I don't own a nursing top. Actually, no, that's true. I have like a nursing dress. But for the past several years, I have adopted the system of having stretchy camisoles. So ones that are stretchy enough to pull down. So I can always pull my shirt up. I can wear my, my normal shirt. I can always pull up. And then my midriff is completely covered. It's a certain type of camisole that has like the fairly elastic edge. That's my breastfeeding system. I used to not ever wear layers. And I couldn't handle like in heat. I hate wearing more than one thing. And I'm, I've had to just get used to that. But it's just made it easy because I don't have to analyze my wardrobe. Other systems I have, especially being in Italy, and, and you mentioned the stroller thing, I love my stroller. It's very narrow. I, do you have one of those prams that are like big fat wheels, has the flatbed baby rider, like it's like a portable bed? Yeah, that's like the Cadillac of the baby strollers. Anyway, I recommend the Phil and Ted's stroller. We currently have the Sport, which is a model which is probably discontinued, and they're very expensive, new, but you can go to Craigslist. I, I think it's actually cheaper to fly to the UK to buy one from one of their Craigslist, buy them used, and then fly back, <laughs> then the cost of buying one new. They don't have them, a lot of them here used because not a lot of kids. So I love my stroller. It's narrow. It's a double. The bed can lie completely flat. I mean, it's basically a single that can be a double. So that's awesome. When it's not the stroller, it's the ergo. The ergo has been essential for all of my children. It's the only sling thing that has worked for me you can wear longer than 20 minutes without it hurting your back. And I have worn all the kids. I remember when we were in Maine, 
I would go for winter walks and it was great because we would be heaters for each other and we'd be strapped on and like even another blanket on top of that and like zipped up my coat around it and we could walk out in like 20 degree weather and go down to visit the neighbors over here and that's definitely part of my life as a mom. I don't know, what other systems are there? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) No, I wanted to say being in the midst of newbornhood or motherhood of a newborn I can't help but think, and I think this often, how in the world would you do this with other children around? I cannot even imagine having a toddler right now. I can put him down for like a half an hour in the morning and he's good, he's happy, and it'll give me a chance to make the bed, wash my face, brush my teeth, put the tea on, and that's about it. And then, you know, maybe I'll get another happy half an hour in the afternoon because he doesn't nap as I said and if he naps he's lying on me basically how, how would you feed your older child I mean you only have two hands well, I think wait wait before you answer tell everyone how old each of your kids are so we have the perspective okay. of what ages you're dealing with with a newborn all right right now I have a almost five-year-old should be five in two months or so that's Emma here today and then I have Stella she's three very proud of it. Dieter, Dietrich Maximus is a year and a half, and I am about four months pregnant. They're all actually almost the exact spacing apart, 20 months. And I think between Dieter and this one is 21 months. Um, it's great, because now if we just keep the even years, it'll be easy to remember. We have 2010, 2014, 2014, and then this next one is 2016. If we have to ever go off this pattern, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Anyway. <laughs> um, no, you may not eat any more sugar packets. <laughs> um, so, got one down without you. That's right. Know. We'll allow one for the sake of the interview. We're <laughs> gonna cut you off though. Yes, how I did it with two. Again, the ergo is essential. I carried my newborn. So at this stage, the baby was just on me all the time. I just wear the ergo and the baby, and then I would be able to do things. Uh, the other element is to keep the toddler from killing themselves, um, baby proofing. And you don't quite have that yet because you haven't no need. You have no need. You're just dealing with what you have right now. And he's not moving and won't be moving for several more months. But when he starts moving, you slowly start the process of baby proofing your house and you realize, oh wow, I never thought about that. That this corner, that somehow he would manage to climb into this weird position in the, in the cabinets somewhere and find his way to the knives. You don't, you don't think of it until you experience it and then you fix it. You have to baby proof for your sanity and for the safety of your family because you can't be everywhere all at once. Once the other one, the older baby's moving, you just have to make sure that it's a safe environment, basically, for them to be moving. Baby gates, you know, we had baby gates blocking off the steps. We had baby gates if ever we needed to, like, corral them into two of the safest rooms while I made dinner. Uh, you know, cages. <laughs> Essentially, cages and and chains. You know, the baby, the baby not that it's a chain, but the, the carrier. Yeah, I had the baby on me, like, all the time, especially for Emma. She was one of those that just, I couldn't put her down. If I did, I couldn't get anything done before she woke up. What about when you're nursing? Can you nurse in the air ergo? I've never, you can. Yep, you can. Loosen the straps so that their head, you know, which is usually up here, is right here. Um, I've done it before. I've done it while walking through the city. Sometimes I like laugh to myself. I'm like, <laughs> nobody knows that I'm actually like out in the open and nursing the baby. But yeah, it's very contained and you can do it modestly even. 
I don't do that a ton, but often I usually stop whatever I'm doing to nurse. If you're walking around and nursing them, they might just chomp on you because you're like, it's trying to get away. Bite it, quick. <laughs> he has been, what I have since learned is called cluster feeding. Feeding him every 15 minutes, something like that. Is that normal? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've come to just expect that like pretty much anything can be normal. Everybody is different. I have always practiced um, under the idea that I just feed the baby when they want it. If they're rooting, I feed them. It doesn't matter if I just finished feeding them. They apparently are still hungry. I just feed them. And I do like extended breastfeeding too. So Dieter, still a year and a half, I'm still nursing him. I tandem nursed Stella and Emma for like a month. And I was like, Stella, you're done. <laughs> or Emma, whoever it was, Stella and Dieter. But yeah, I think it's normal. Again, if he's happy, you should be happy. You know, if he wants to eat all the time, sometimes it's annoying. But you have to just kind of like remind yourself. It's like he's just going on instincts. He thinks he wants food and it's, you know, it's food and it's comfort. And I'm okay. I, I think the baby should nurse for food and for comfort. I mean, it's, it's both, you know, nutrition and bonding. There's so many insecurities with being a new mom. Even just walking down the street with the carrier on. Am I doing this right? Is it set right? Am I going to bump into Am someone? I gonna Am I going to fall? Yeah, that thought goes through my head literally every day with a visual as well. <laughs> we bed share occasionally. This morning, just this morning, woke up in a terror because he was really, really close to me when I woke up. And I thought, oh my God, is he breathing? Is he breathing? And of course he was. But, you know, I just, I wonder, does this, does he, do these insecurities ever go away? Well, it depends on how you feed them. I can't say that parenting insecurities go away altogether. There's always something new to worry about. But I think it is normal. It is also new. There's all these things that you've never had to think about before that are very vital <laughs> to the survival of this child, you know, and you want to make sure that you're doing the best that you can. Yeah, it's, it, you need support and you need, you know, information and people like lactation consultants and all that are good and, and friends and other mothers to talk to because there are always worries. There are always worries. And, and Leon, too, you know, as a dad will say so, too. You know, people ask him the same question. He's like, oh, I imagine 15 different ways that each kid can kill themselves in ev like every hour of the day. And he's like, I just have to not think about it too much, <laughs> you know. I really believe that if you, um, you follow your instincts as a mother take other people's advice sometimes with a good grain of salt trust yourself like in the same way that you can trust your body to have the baby for the most part if your baby is happy it is good you're doing a good job and and for the most part children grow up normally it's amazing and as they get older you start to realize it's amazing that they they really that so many of them don't kill themselves by the time that they're five because <laughs> they they try so hard <laughs> I've never been too much of a worrier myself, so I don't, part of that's just like my personality. Was it you that said, it was either you or somebody else, obviously, <laughs> who said, when you're worried about whether or not you're gonna be able to potty train this kid, and it feels like it's never working, that you're like, well, how many adults do you know that aren't potty trained? None. <laughs> so obviously it's gonna work its way out eventually. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that, that makes me think of a line from uh, another podcast which Katie actually recommended to me called The Longest Shortest Time. It's about early motherhood, childbirth, children. And there was a guest, an interviewee, and she was talking about how she had to put her child to sleep. And uh, 
so complicated. You know, she had to hold her in one particular arm, put a finger in her mouth, rock her to it, sing a particular song. And in, her, in the middle of her, the depth of her darkness and thinking, I'm never going to sleep train this child, she thought to herself, I can't imagine that I'll be taking her to college and dropping her off and explaining to her roommate how to put her to sleep. <laughs> so clearly, eventually, she will learn how to fall asleep on her own. Uh, well, we're getting a little long in the teeth on this podcast. And now we have a really annoying, oh, thank goodness, it's over, alarm behind us. I asked Tiffany this question before, and maybe I'll make you answer it again, but one of my questions that I asked her, just as a longtime friend of hers, is do you feel like you two are different fundamentally than me, that I'm not a mother? I wouldn't say so much that you're, you are so different uh, it's just you haven't come into the the experiences that so many mothers experience. You know, like mothers, I think, do have an element just because of the the shared experiences. It's this common element somehow bonds you together a little bit more easily, more quickly, maybe. I mean, that's how friends are made, right? Common experiences. Definitely, mothers have these common experiences that single women have yet to experience. But you know, if you were to have a kid. Bam, welcome to the club. (laughs) (laughs) But if I don't, then what? Um, Well, it depends on how sympathetic you are, I guess. (laughs) Listening to your friends, I don't know. Well, I mean, we bonded over the shared experience of being brand new expats. So there you go, right? Yeah, you you, you bond over a different experience. It's it's just a different view. When we were chatting, uh, right before we started recording about, we were talking about some kind of unpleasant things that you have to deal with right after childbirth. I did kind of feel that bond for a minute and already I'm part of the club. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a club that we won't tell you the details of like until you get into the club and then when you're in the club you're like oh yeah honey that's normal. <laughs> it's like, trust me I never wanted to talk about this in my life but now it's just very normal everyday conversation. Yeah. Should we let them know what you were talking about? You can just name the two products. We were talking about mesh panties and postpartum pads and how when I went to purchase these items, well, I didn't know that I needed them. But, you know, they told me at the the baby store, you know, you need this stuff. And I looked at this stuff and I'm thinking, no, I don't need this. I'll just get some maxi pads and some cotton briefs. Oh, no, that would not have done it. (laughs) Well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you, Cassie, for coming out and seeing us. You're welcome. Can I just finish it with, by the way, I'm not a professional. Just... (laughs) I think we probably all know that. That's the American part of you covering your butt. Right. (laughs) Legally. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Until next time, I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. That's Cassie Griesbach. And this is The Bittersweet Life. Join us again. Bye. Visit the donate page on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. All donations are reserved exclusively for the creation of audio content. Your financial support keeps us strong. Thank you.